Well, amen and good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I am going to talk about kings today. Yes, talk about kings. Now, the world's had a lot of famous kings. Uh, let me just mention a few from the country of England. Uh, first of all, there was Richard I, also known as Richard the Lionheart, uh, who was a crusader and attempted to take back Jerusalem from the Muslim king Saladin. And then there was Henry VIII, who had almost as many wives, I believe six, and didn't treat any of them all too well. It was said of Henry VIII that you were safer to be one of the hogs in his place than, than, a, than a wife. I won't go further. And then there was George III, who was known as the Mad King. He was the king that lost uh, America to the colonies. And I, I guess if you lose a whole country, you have a, maybe a little bit of a right to be somewhat mad. But anyway, that was George III. And you know, the United States has had a few kings as well too, right? I mean, like Richard Petty, king of stock car racing, right? Anybody stock car fans here in this group? All right. And then there was Arnold Palmer, who was sort of the king of golf in the 50s and the 60s. He actually had an army. They were called Arnie's Army, his followers that, that followed him around on the golf courses. So I guess if you have an army, that makes you a king. So there was Arnold Palmer. And then, of course, there's Elvis Presley, the king. And then you have the basketball player, LeBron James, who is just known as King James. So, and then we have the famous Burger King, of course. And then you have the largest king of all, King Kong which was a pretty big king. But, but today, we're just going to talk about Israel's kings, all right? And it's part of the ongoing uh, series that I've been preaching for, I think, the past year. <laughs> ongoing, uh, who knows how long, God knows how. Uh, but anyway, it's called The Story, and it's God's story. And it's from the Word of God. And it's a great story to learn. It's a great story to tell. Uh, I'm hoping that as we go through the story and show you the big picture of God's redemptive history, that it, will be, that it will capture your imagination, capture your heart, capture your lives, and that you'll not only want to know the story, but you'll want to be a part of the story. All right? So let's pray and ask God to do that. Father, we do pray this morning that um, this would not just be a Sunday morning where we come to church and go home and eat lunch and go about our day. But I pray, Lord, that as we have come to gather in your presence as your people around your word, asking that your spirit will bring transformation, that you will renew our minds in the truth, that we'll, we'll be reminded of the events that Scripture records, and as it ultimately points to Jesus, who is the King of kings, the one who is worthy of, of all of our affections. And I pray, Lord, that our heart would be His this day, that He would rule and reign on the throne of each of our hearts, that we would show people Jesus throughout the week in so many different ways, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. And so we pray this morning, Father, capture us. Help us to be an army for You. And just empower us as we listen now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this ongoing story uh, starts, of course, in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the sixth day of that creation, he created Adam and Eve. And God said to them, he blessed them, and then said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, here's creation. Be stewards over it. Take care of it for me. And so God placed them in the Garden of Eden. 
And when he placed them in the Garden of Eden, he said, you can eat from the fruit of any of these trees except for, see that one? The knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit on that one. Because in the day you eat the fruit on that tree, you'll begin to die physically and you will have died spiritually and our relationship will be severed. And when you get to Genesis chapter 3 as part of the story, we not only see creation in chapters 1 and 2, but then in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see the fall of man, fell from God's grace, fell from that perfect relationship that they had within the garden. Uh, the enemy took the form of a serpent and deceived them, and they ate, and they died. But even as God is handing out the consequences to their sin, he gives them hope because he promises that the woman's offspring will come and eventually crush the serpent, crush Satan. There's the hope of a Messiah and a rescuer and a deliverer and a savior right there in the midst of all of that sin and mess. Now, as Paul was writing to the Romans, he uh, shared some passages that just indicate that this sin nature that entered the world and entered Adam and Eve has, has continued to enter each of our lives. And so this is what Paul says to the Romans about all of us. None is righteous. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. No, not one. No one understands. No one even seeks for God in and of ourselves. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No one does good. Not even one. And then in verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Creation, fall, but then a rescue has been promised in Genesis 3.15. And so God continues to call various men and leaders that are going to help with this rescue. So he calls men like Noah and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Israel, and he calls Joseph then to lead the children of Israel away from the promised land where there's a famine and into Egypt. And they're there 400 years. And even though they're in captivity, they grow. And there are over 2 million people. And so he sends Moses then to lead them out of Egypt. And then there are great leaders like Joshua that come along. And then as we talked about a few weeks ago, all the various judges leader, military leaders and commanders, political leaders that God raised up to continue to protect the nation of Israel, to protect this seed where a descendant, an offspring is going to come who's ultimately going to save humanity. You see that storyline just runs through all of this uh, history of humanity. And then we see in uh, Genesis chapter 12, just going back there real quick, how God promises to Abram, who later becomes Abraham, that this rescuer will come from his seed. And he says this in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Believe in me, Abram. Leave everything you know dear and trust me and follow me to the land that God is pointing you to. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you You'll find favor in my sight. And I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And those that bless you, I will bless. And those that dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, in other words, in you, Abram, and in your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So we see the promise continue. 
Now, today's part of the story is mostly taken from First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So I'm just going to go ahead and get started because there's a lot of verses. I'm going to read them all. First, second, no, I'm not. I'm not. Here are the key characters in those four. Uh, and by the way, this I, I don't. I haven't really said this to you, but in this ongoing series, I'm just kind of making my way through the scriptures. So my next message is going to be about prophecy and prophets. So if you want to kind of begin to read some of those in the next few weeks, uh, it'll get you ahead of the curve and make it more meaningful. But here are the key players. First of all, Samuel. Samuel was raised by a priest by the name of Eli in Israel who was eh, maybe not the best priest in the world, and his sons didn't turn out too well, but God had his hand on Samuel's life. You remember Hannah had prayed for a son, and God gave her a son, and Hannah had said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life, and she did. That was the prophet Samuel, one of the key characters in the Old Testament. He was the last judge of Israel and also the prophet who anointed King Saul and King David. So he kind of began the monarchy in a way. It was through Samuel. And then you have the three major kings that served over the undivided kingdom of Israel. You have King Saul, King David, and then King Solomon. All right. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was kind of full of himself. And he had about a lot of young friends that were full of themselves. And so he made a bonehead move, he kind of exercised some pride, and he split the kingdom. And so the 10 northern tribes left, and they were stuck with sort of the, the Rehoboam oversaw Judah, which basically kind of encompassed the southern kingdom. And then out of those two splits, in the book of First and Second Kings, you have 19 kings of Israel and 20 kings of Judah. So a lot of kings, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, here's some important points to remember uh, during this part of the story. First of all, the nation of Israel rejected Yahweh, the Lord God, as their king. Here's God who begins this nation through Abraham, sees it through a lot of adversity, continues to grow them, gives them promises, gives them prophets, gives them leaders. And yet when it came right down to it, they rejected this loving, compassionate, powerful God as their king, as if they could do better. Uh, if you will, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. I just want you to see the, just, we're just going to read a few verses here and there to kind of give you a flavor of what's going on. But see, they, they wanted to be like everybody else. Well, we, wanna, we want a king like that country over there. We don't want the Lord to be our king. We, we, we want a, a human king. So look at 1 Samuel. Uh, it's right before 2 Samuel, if you're having a hard time finding it. Old Testament. Look at verse 4. 1 Samuel 8, 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, which is where he lived. And they said to him, Behold, you're old. Now, I resemble that remark. I, I, I mean, I, I resent that remark. You should never go up to a, a prophet like Samuel and say, Don, you're old. Hey, it's just not right. Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, I would think so, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel had enough wisdom to not just find some kind of a club and go out and start beating them, you know. He went to the Lord. He prayed. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you, 
for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me for being king over them. Can I ask you a point of application, kind of here halfway in, in the message instead of waiting until the end? You know the question. Who's your king? That's the question here this morning. Who do you allow to rule and reign in your heart of heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your attitudes, in your words, in your actions, in your relationships? Who rules and is sovereign over the stewardship that you have in terms of your time, talents, and, and treasures? Who does your world revolve around? And probably most of us, we would say, well, depends on when you catch me, right? You catch me at a certain point in time, and I'm, I may be, God may have captured all of me. I'm his, whatever he asks. And then other times, it's kind of like I'm, I'm fickle, and I give in to the flesh and into the world and other things. I feel like Martin Luther King. I have a dream. I do. I have a dream. I have a dream that God will create a body of Christ, a church, a family, who so many people decide to be all in and make God their king, that it just completely transforms them as individuals, as families, and as a church and begins to really make a difference in this world for Christ. I do have a dream. I believe it's a, a biblical dream. And it's, it's like any great sports team. It's going to take every single person to be on the field and to lay it out there. But that's my dream. Who's your king? Another important point are the, the three main kings. Let me tell you a little bit about the three main kings. All right, you had King Saul, a tall guy, good looking. Pick, you know, he, he, he pictured the part of being a king. He was noble looking. And yet Saul was a guy who feared the people and didn't fear God. And because he feared people, when, when God sent him out on a mission to completely destroy the Amalekites in uh, 1 Samuel 15, Saul went out and he, and he killed most of the people, but he didn't kill the king. And he spared some of the best animals. And his excuse was later to Samuel, well, the people said we should keep some of the best animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And then he doesn't say, my God, he says, the Lord, your God. Twice he says that to Samuel, to the Lord, your God. He didn't say to the Lord, our God, or to my God. He says, your God. The Lord was not uh, Saul's king at that point. And he feared people, and he didn't, you know, when you fear people, you have to fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you'll never have a fear of people because you'll be so intent and bent on following the Lord as your king. It won't matter what people say. No, God said to commit 
everything to destruction. We're to destroy everything in this, this wicked group of Amalekites. And then Samuel says to Saul in a little conversation, he says, you know, to obey is better than sacrifice. Remember that line? We wanted to sacrifice these good animals. Samuel says, no, obeying is much better than sacrificing. And then he says to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you, and your kingship is going to be given to another. So it's given to David, King David. Wow, in so many ways. I mean, David said in Scripture in two or three places, he was a man after God's own heart. I mean, that is something that, that all of us should aspire to be, people after God's own heart. In other words, he rules and reigns to the point to where, you know, you're his. And yet, even David, a tender warrior, a musician, a courageous man, in so many ways, the, the, the perfect king, and yet, as most of you know, he had issues. Have you noticed that most human leaders have issues of one kind or another? All you got to do is get close enough to them or talk to their wives or their spouses or whatever. You'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. All human leaders have issues. And David had an issue. Uh, we're told in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 that in the spring of the year, when it should have been time where kings go out to war, David sent the commander of his army and he stayed back. Oh, what am I going to do with my time? I'm not battling war. I'm not engaged in the Lord's business here. I'll just go up and walk on my rooftop. And he sees a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba who's already married and takes her to be his own, and she becomes pregnant. Her husband, Uriah the Hittite, is such an honorable man that when David brings him off the battlefield to go into his wife so that people will think this baby is theirs, his, he won't even do that. He sleeps at the, at the foot of the steps of the, of the palace with the other servants. He won't go home and get a warm meal, spend time with his wife, because Israel's out doing battle. This guy is such an... I mean, I cannot wait to meet this man. He is an honorable man. And so God sends Nathan the prophet in the next chapter, 2 Samuel 12, to David. And Nathan says to David, tells him a story about a guy who owns one little ewe lamb, and that's it. But the neighbor has all sorts of flocks. And a traveler came by and uh, asked this, and, and so this man wanted to give him something to eat. So instead of choosing uh, a lamb from his hundreds or thousands of lambs, he grabs this guy's one little ewe lamb that was like a daughter to him and kills that and serves it to his guest. And David said to Nathan, the man that did that act deserves to die. This is one of those points in, in biblical history where you'd like to just be there and watch this. And Nathan says, David, you are the man. That's what you did with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. So, all sorts of consequences. The child dies. Samuel tells David the sword is never going to pass from your house. Later on in his life, David is, is running from his life from one of his own sons. I mean, the sword always continues. But God is gracious still. Isn't that good? 
even with a bunch of boneheads like us, God is still gracious. He forgives us, and He helps us to, to, to move on. We have to go through the consequences, but He's so gracious and merciful. And so David lives, and yet the kingdom is, is, is hurt by that. And then you have King Solomon. By the way, whose parents were Solomon, David, and Bathsheba? God took that one child, but he gave him another child, Solomon, and Solomon became the next king. Solomon was a king who really started well. 1 Kings chapter 3, he was a young lad, by young, I don't know, late teens, early 20s. He, he was younger in terms of when David died and when he had to become king. So God appeared to him in a vision and said, hey, Solomon, what can I do for you? What would you like from me to help you in your new situation? Wow, Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for victory over his enemies. He said, if I'm going to govern a people that serve the living God, I'm going to have to have wisdom. I'm going to have to have understanding. I'm going to have to understand right from wrong and to know how to go in and to come out and to, and to just hear from you, Lord. I'm going to need that. And that pleased God. And so God gave Solomon all sorts of wisdom and understanding. Solomon abused that many times. And I think did things in the flesh through that wisdom and his abilities. But yet we find that in a few years after Solomon's built the temple, his own palace, he's dedicated it. We see all this long prayer. I mean, God's presence is right there in the midst of his people, just where God wants to be. And then all of a sudden, Solomon gets caught up with wives. He begins to fall in love with too many women, foreign women who serve other gods, and they capture his heart. And so the gods of those women capture his heart. And so he wasn't fully devoted to the Lord like his father David had been fully devoted. Started well, finished poorly. If you were to pray one prayer for this particular pastor for the rest of his life, just pray that I'll finish well. I'm not wanting any big fireworks show. I just want to be able to get up each day and faithfully serve the Lord and never, never turn back, never look to the left or the right. Just pray that I will finish well. I want to encourage you. I want you to know it can be done, that we can finish well. And I hope that we'll do that as a congregation. All right, so after these three kings, Rehoboam splits the, the empire into two, northern tribes, southern tribes, and then Israel has 19 kings. Guess how many of Israel's kings, the northern 10 tribes, are good? Not a one. Zilch. All wicked. They all did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you have Judah, the southern kingdom, that had 20 kings, and eight out of those kings were good. But even they did not fully follow through the commandments of the Lord. So you have really wicked kings like Ahab, who was, you know, brought on the fury and anger of the Lord more than any other king that probably was there in the nation. And then you have kings like Jehoash and Hezekiah, uh, Josiah, Asa, others, who did, for the most part, did right, but they still weren't attentive to some of the details that God said, I want you to take away the high places. People are still committing idolatry. They're still worshiping other gods. Tear them down and they didn't. So as a result of that inconsistency, and as a result of none of them fully following the ways of the Lord, 
Ultimately then, in the, in the 700s BC, the 10 northern tribes were taken to Assyria, which was an empire to the north, and some of the Assyrians were sent down into the area of Israel, later to be known as Samaria. And you know who the Samaritans were? They were a, a mixed breed between the Assyrians and the people of Israel, which God said, don't let that happen. And that's why the Jews that were in Jerusalem and Judea hated the Samarians, Samaritans because they were a mixed breed. They weren't pure Jews. So Judah, because Judah's had a few good kings, the um, consequences of being exiled, which had been predicted back in the book of Deuteronomy by Moses, took a little longer. So 100 plus years later, 600s, early 500s BC, you have the Babylonians in three different occasions coming in and ultimately through those three attacks, destroying the temple, destroying the wall around Jerusalem, and basically taking a lot of uh, people from Israel back to Babylon uh, as, as exiles. So let me kind of summarize so far, all right? You with me? Everybody still awake, pretty much? All right. Don, how's Marty doing back there? He's still awake? Good. All right. The Edinburgh connection is still connected. So to summarize, here we go. After the creation and the fall, God made a promise that he was going to rescue the race, the human race from the consequences of their disobedience to the supreme rule and reign of God. The rescue included men like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's son, Joseph. Uh, Then Israel rejected God as their king, so he gave them 42 kings, which none of them really fulfilled uh, what God had sent them to do, and uh, they didn't restore the nation on a permanent basis. There was some revival once in a while, kind of things put back in place, but then the next king would kind of tear apart. Uh, You get the idea. It just just didn't work. Um, And you know, the Lord continues to send human leaders today to us to encourage us to behold God, to build up the body of Christ and to bless the city and the world. But there's only really one true teacher. There's really only one true leader. There's really only one true shepherd. And there's really only one true king. And that's Jesus, king of kings. When Jesus was speaking to the scribes and Pharisees and they were sort of, he was explaining how they liked the best seats in the synagogue and how they liked these greetings in the marketplaces and all of the attention and the best seats at the feasts and those kinds of things. This is what he said in reference to human leaders who like to pretend that, you know, they're the best things in sliced bread. He said, he says, you're not to be called rabbi. Don't, don't call anybody rabbi or teacher, all right? For you have one teacher. And he says, you're all brothers, but, you, you're, but call no man on earth your father, for you have one father who is in heaven. And neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. So that brings us to the very most significant purpose of this part of God's story. Everybody listening, hear this one thing. The purpose of the historical narrative of these four books is to point us to the ultimate son of David the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus as King. That's the purpose of this narrative, to point us to Christ, the King of Kings. 
Now, here are these three passages that talk about this promise and fulfillment, okay? just want to have you see this in Scripture. First of all, in 2 Samuel 7, Samuel is speaking to David. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, not just Solomon, but continued offspring, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. We call that the Davidic covenant because God is promising that the rescuer mentioned way back in Genesis chapter 3 will be a descendant of David. And then we see this fulfilled in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel comes and speaks to Mary. And the angel said to her in Luke chapter 1, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There's the Davidic covenant being fulfilled. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then as you move on past, you have the creation, you have fall, you have rescue, or the story of redemption. Ultimately, in God's story, you're going to have restoration where everything is going to be restored. And Jesus is not only going to be the king of our hearts, but he's going to be the king of the entire universe. So let me read this from Revelation chapter 19, talking about the second coming of Christ and the restoration. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's my king. Is that your king? (laughs) If it's not, this is your opportunity. Jesus said, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He can be your king today. Just invite him in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are such an indescribable king. You're beyond our thoughts, our words. And all we can do, Lord, is to bow before you, to acknowledge your goodness and your grace and your mercy, and to thank you for another day to serve you as our King. May it be so, in Jesus' name.